0: So we're doing this series about word and spirit, the word is the scripture, the Holy Spirit is we're told about here in this wonderful book and I know many of you in here have had faith in Christ for a very, very long time and some here might not have faith yet in Christ at all, we, we would say to you, we want you to have faith in Christ more than anything else, um, to know that you are under the favour of God, it is the most important question, That you could ask yourself, am I under God's favour? And we've had so much encouragement this morning in what has been shared already. That God has this long table, that he is inviting us into his home. And in fact, more than that, he goes out and he seeks after us. The Holy Spirit chases after us. And uh, he calls us by name. He's chosen us, we reminded by my son-in-law, Adam. He's chosen us and he's coming coming to us and calling us by name. And uh, with great love and tender mercy, he deals in our lives. And our lives may go in terrible places. We may run away. We sang in one of the songs. We may run away. And countless times in scriptures, we read about people who ran away from God. But he came after them. And there is no place you can run to where he cannot come. There's no depth of addiction where Jesus cannot come after you and bring you to his table. There's no place of danger or threat, no no horror place buried maybe under the rubble of some terrible earthquake where you cannot cry out to him and he would not meet you. There's no... No place where you cannot come. And to those of us who have called out to him and embraced this opportunity, do you know we need to just understand this more and more fully? Because I, I still feel that I live more often like an orphan than I do as a son of God. And I lead more too often like an orphan instead of leading out of being a son of God. And... You know, the last few, few weeks for all, all of us working on Revive, it's got, it gets pretty stressy. As Eric reminded us a couple of weeks ago, you know, if it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would get done. <laughs> and... Um, and it is, it's, only, it's funny how it's only when you actually set a date that it really focuses the mind and you realise all those detailed decisions that have to be made, like how much will we actually sell this tea for or something like that. And it's amazing how, you know, there, there are opportunities for conflict or whatever or feeling irritated. And I confess I got a little irritated yesterday, so excuse me, Anne, if, that's, if it felt irritated. <laughs> um, so... Um, But we want to grow into being the sons of God. Because if we really knew just how loved we are, just how ample and the great blessings of God and the promises of God are that we have received, suddenly all those other things become less important and we become released from needing that latest phone, that car, uh, all the reputation that we feel we need. So we live in an era, um, as we just heard, where terrorism... Can almost touch our lives from what Diane was saying. You know, her mother-in-law, one of those people displaced from their home by the events uh, that we've heard about recently in the in the press, and of course, a lot of there's a certain amount of violence is perpetrated by neo-Nazis or various people, but we often associate it with jihadists, people of. Uh, who do their acts on the basis they believe of the religion we know as Islam. And then there can be disputes about whether the Quran teaches violence or not. Well, I'm not a Muslim, so I'm not going to say it's up to Muslims to speak about that. But I think it's important, actually, that as Christians, we keep saying and recognising that, um, that Christianity does not teach that Christianity is advanced by means of violence. That is not the case. The Bible does not teach that. Uh, In Christianity, violence is a sin, not a sign of devotion. And um, of course, that's not always been the case in times of the history of the church. Violence has been deployed, and that's much to our shame. But that is actually not what Christianity teaches. And so when we think about being a church based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God, one of the things is to understand how we understand the Word of God. Because people will sometimes say to you, oh, well, I've read a bit of the Old Testament and there was lots of violence and ethnic cleansing. Now, I'm not here to speak to those passages this morning, but I want to bring out a principle that is there in Scripture, which is that the New Testament interprets the Old Testament and where the New Testament says something different to the Old. It isn't really ever contradicting the Old, but it's certainly superseding the Old Testament, and therefore that's a very important principle. So um, I've chosen a passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul was one of the very first followers of Christ, and he planted churches all around the Mediterranean area. One of the very first churches he planted was a church in the province of Galatia. And and subsequently, very early on in the life of the church, probably about 48 AD, he wrote a letter to this church in Galatia. And I'm just going to take a section at the end of chapter 3 into the beginning of chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, it will eventually come up on the screen. And Paul is really dealing with the contrasts of what, how we relate to God, whether we relate to God on the basis of rules or on the basis of promises, whether we relate to God through our self-effort or by faith, and whether we relate to God like a slave or an orphan or like a son and a daughter. And I want to begin by saying that promise trumps law. Actually, before we get to that, earlier on there was just some pictures of me as a baby. Can you, did you, weren't is that right? Ask me with my mum when I was just born or soon after um some of you know my mum because she was in the church many many years ago before i was she's she's still alive and suffering with parkinson's but uh, she has her faith is is there has been refreshed actually very much thanks to emma praying with her on one of her visits there and that that was really good so um and there was another one, look, another picture. This was me when I was six. I think that was the most handsome age I was. It's a pity that it didn't last longer. Because by the time I was 24, when we lived, we lived in Newhall, three the Broadway Newhall, you see, yesterday I became entitled to a rail card again. Right? This, that, that was the last time I was in, because you could get the young person's rail card until you were 25, I think. Right, that was about the last one I got. And now, now I can get a rail card again. So... Yeah, I know. Sixty years old. There's some. There are some benefits. So, um, but anyway. So, but just imagine that you're a teenager again. Do you remember being a teenager? Yep. You see, actually, young people. You might think we wouldn't remember such things, but actually, we still feel. I'm still surprised when I look in the mirror, right? <laughs> or when I see a photograph of myself. I think, what is that? What I look like? Because you still feel and think of yourself like when. When you, you know, you had a six-pack. I still have a six-pack, it's just buried. So, but imagine you're a teenager, a young teenager in major, maybe 11 or 12, something like that. So that's before a teenager. Your dad messages you from work to say, don't play on the iPad until you've finished your homework. Right? Now, how do you feel about that message well, how, how might you feel? I'm not asking you to speak it out loud, but you know, imagine the sort of feelings. But what if, what if instead he messages to say, I'll take you to play tennis at the rec after tea after helping you finish your homework. Would you feel differently about that message than the message before? Yep, you think you would, right? The first message was like a command. The second message was a promise. Right? And one message is law, the other is promise. One demands my energy, the other offers his energy. And if you think about it, it's obvious that promises trump law. Promise is better than law. It's not that law is bad, but promise trumps law. And this whole world is actually built on law. Um, And, you know, people think it's religion that's brought law into the world. I don't think that's true. We give laws to ourselves. Did you hear the story this week about that Michelin-starred chef in France? One one of just 27 chefs in France that has three Michelin stars. I mean, it's like he's at the pinnacle of the chefing world. Okay? And uh, his name, we've got a photo of him here uh, with his father. So this is him on the left, Sebastian... Bra, I don't know how you say his name. With his father Michael, they have a restaurant somewhere in France. I've forgotten where it was. I couldn't. It wasn't somewhere I recognised. And uh, and he's actually appealed to the Michelin organisation. Please, would you take away my Michelin stars? I can't take the pressure. Right. And um, and so there was a quote on the. BBC website, he says you're inspected two or three times a year, you never know when, every meal that goes out could be inspected, that means that every day one of the 500 meals that leaves the kitchen could be judged, and he says I can't take it anymore, he's living under law, and that's what lots of people are. They're living under the law of what they feel their parents expect of them, their spouse expects of them, their gang expects of them. Why are all these young people carrying knives and all this stuff? It's because of what their gang expects of them. People are living under law. Christianity is not a religion of law. It's a religion of promises and of a God who's reached out to us. Now, Paul had been a Pharisee. He'd been The Apostle Paul had been a Pharisee. It was one of the Jewish leadership groups. They were experts in the Old Testament Torah, the law of the Old Testament. And that law was given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai in about 1300 BC. So it's like over 3,000 years ago. And Paul loved that law of God because he knew it was a wonderful description. The Bible doesn't tell us the law is a bad thing. It just tells us us that promises are better things. And... So um, Paul knew that, that the law described how a community could live together in harmony and with itself and with God. And you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if you didn't have to lock your door? Wouldn't that be wonderful if you didn't have to check your change? If you didn't get emails and phone calls from people who were basically trying to scam you and, and diddle you out of stuff? Wouldn't it be wonderful a world like that? But that's the world God sees. That's the world God will bring about. But it's not the world we have, sadly. And, uh, and after Paul got to know Christ, then he was saved and Christ found him and rescued him. He realized, Paul realized, hey, the law is deficient. Because the law says do this, do that, do the other. But it doesn't help me. But Christ is quite different, right? The law describes the good life, but it doesn't bring me into the good life. And uh, it doesn't empower us, and so I've quoted this little bit of doggerel before, a little bit of poetry. Um, "Run, John, run," the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, bids me fly and gives me wings. Right? It's not Red Bull, right? It's, just, it's the gospel. It gives you wings. And so the gospel is built on promises not on laws. The law commands what it cannot and will not deliver itself. On the contrary, the law makes us conscious of our shortcomings. I mean, which of us has ever been driving along and then happened to glance up at our rearview mirror, which we should do more regularly, and at the moment when we glance up, we see a police car in our rearview mirror. And we wish at that moment we'd looked in our rearview mirror earlier because we're trying to remember back to how, when I last looked in my rearview mirror and how long he must have been or she must have been following me. And what feelings come across you at that moment? What do you do at that moment? How many of you have found that you touched the brake (laughs) at the moment that you saw there was a police car behind you? without even looking at the speedometer you just thought better, you better cool this a bit and I wonder what you felt you probably there was probably just a moment of anxiety at least until you had checked your speedo and thought about am I doing everything right the law makes us conscious of wrongdoing it's, it, th- that's one of the things it does and so we have a love-hate relationship with the law on the one hand when there's like that terrible disaster with the Grenfell Tower and the fire we think there should be more laws they should review the building regulations there should be more laws but as long as they apply to other people and not to me and laws become self-propagating I remember Eric telling me about the, this, the definition of pointlessness so there's this, uh, sh- this sign Right, this is the definition of pointlessness. Why is the sign even there? And as you can see, people have enjoyed throwing stones at that sign. <coughs> you mustn't put your elbows on the table. You mustn't talk while the quiz show is on that I like watching. You mustn't well, rules just multiply there. All human beings are sinking down under the burden of all these demands we make of ourselves and others. And, but having come to know Christ, Paul now looks back on this, the Jewish Bible, our what we Christians call the Old Testament, and he sees it differently. He sees that before there was any law given to Moses on Mount Sinai, you know the two tablets of stone and the ten commandments written on them, he realized before any of that, we should look to the rock from which we were hewn, to quote Shirley, right? You quoted from Isaiah 51, that passage, look to the rock by Abraham. Because when you go back before Moses, there was Abraham. And how did God relate to Abraham? He didn't give him laws. He made promises to him. Right? He made promises to him. And Paul realized, oh, I've had it wrong all along. Even when I was a Jew, I should have got this. But now I understand it. God wants to relate to us by means of promises. And so, um, and so he just picking up in verse twenty one of Galatians three. Then, um, just uh, hopefully with that introduction makes more sense. He says, "Is it is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Right? Are these things opposed." He says, "No, he's not against the law. Absolutely not. For if the law had been, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law." But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised right to Abraham and now in Christ and the gospel, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So the blessing of God is not to those who keep the rules, it is to those who believe the promise of God. That is very good news and um, so this tells us something important something has been offered to us by God in promises and that's something we're told here is to be received by faith verse 22 the scriptures locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe right so that we are To believe. And and you might be sitting here, oh, I've been I've believed in Jesus for many, many years. But I want to talk I want to encourage you today to think about whether your faith is really active today and, and over these weeks, that you are active in faith. Back in January I spoke from Genesis 26 and Isaac, who was Abraham's son, and the It was a very blessed life, but he then disobeyed God. He told lies, and you just thought, oh, we'll be in trouble now. God will come and get him. But what we read is, and it says that God blessed him. Even when we sin, God wants to bless us. It doesn't mean that he wants us to sin or that he's pleased about it. God is grieved when we sin, but God still comes and blesses. And then Isaac was able to say, we will flourish in the land. He understood, I live under the blessing of God. Coming back to that question, I asked you to consider at the beginning, the most important question I think any of us should ask, am I under God's favour? And Isaac knew, yes, I am under God's favour. And the, the basis of that is not because I have a wonderful sense of humour or I've followed the law, I've been very successful in my career, I've worked very hard and I'm self-made. No, it is believing in Jesus Christ. It is believing the promises that God has spoken. So faith is very important. And faith in God's promises trumps efforts to obey the law. That's what Paul says in the whole letter of Galatians. He says, if you try and earn your status with God, you have cancelled out everything Jesus has done and you will have lost everything. Obedience is the way we respond to a law. Faith is the way we respond to a promise. Think about it. If someone makes a promise to you, you have a decision. Will they fulfil their promise? Do you have confidence that this person who has said this will fulfill their promise? Maybe you belong to one of those schemes which you can use on the internet where you sign up with this scheme and if you click through from them to buy stuff on the internet, you get some cash back. You know those schemes? If you don't know about them, you're missing a trick. right? Because, but the thing is, you don't, you don't always get the cash back that's promised. Some companies are faithful and others are not. So since Paul was a good Jew, he had to grapple with the purpose of the law. Why did God get Moses to go up the mountain and give him the two tablets of stone? And so he uses some pictures here in the next section. He says, verse 23, if we can get that, before the coming of this faith... That was in Christ we were held in custody we were in prison under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed and then he uses a different picture he says so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith now that this faith has come we are no longer under a guardian so Paul has a certain picture And we need to understand this as we read the Bible. The Old Testament, the the law is a good thing, but it has been superseded. The gospel does not bring us into relationship with rules. It brings us into relationship with promises given by a person. And so um, to be in relation to the law is to be in prison without liberty. It's to be feeling, I've got to carry a knife because in my gang that's what we do. And to be locked up under these things. And you know, every person has a lawyer inside us. It's called our conscience, condemning or approving us. The second picture, though, is of this guardian. This is a, in ancient Israel, with most cultures, there's coming of age things, events that happen, coming of age events. And in Rome, a boy or a girl, a boy would take his ball, a girl would take her doll and take them to the temple of Apollo to, as it were, sacrifice them to the gods to say, I'm now a grown-up, I've given up childish things, I put away my ball and my doll, and now I'm a grown-up. And it was part of the sort of rites of passage. And in wealthy Roman fam- families, before that happened, there was some, a servant, a slave probably called a guardian. And this person was not responsible for teaching the children, but was responsible for taking them to their tutor or school and then fetching them home at the end. But they were also responsible for disciplining the children. The the Roman parents gave away the discipline to these characters called guardians. So they had like a stick. They were the ones who would beat the children and discipline them. They were responsible for their moral improvement, as it were. So I don't know whether it was a very nice job. Parents, don't give away the discipline of your children. That's a crazy thing to do. It's your job. It is hard work. And I'm not particularly saying you should hit your children with a stick, but what I'm saying is it is our job as parents to attend to the behaviour of our children, to shape and form them and to draw them into a good path, not to give it away to other people. And I think a lot of parents actually give it away to school. They don't train their children at all, and then they send them off to school, and it's school teachers who are then having to sort out what parents haven't actually sorted out already. Ask a primary school teacher and I think they'll agree with what I just said. Right, someone's just said yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, you don't give that away. But the law, we're told, was like one of these disciplinarians, someone with a stick. But the purpose of the law was to take the child to Christ. And so that's the purpose of the law. It's to make us realize, goodness, I can't live a life like even I would, would like to live it So I need to go to Christ. I need someone to save me. And so from verse 25, we read, Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Isn't that good? That's good. That's so good. Verse 26, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God, sons of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children, literally sons of God. Now it's, it's, we have got a lot of concern about gender in modern society, but you know, us men have to cope with the church being, being part of the church, which is called the Bride of Christ. And similarly, you ladies have to cope with the fact some of these scripture passages talk about being sons of God but that's because in that culture the sons were superior to daughters in their view. But that's, of course, it's not that women are not included in this grace, right? So to say children of God is equally um, helpful here. And we get into this state of being God's children by being baptised into Christ. So Nick um, Little just said earlier about he's going to be baptised, Baptism is incredibly important. Do you want to enter into a deeper experience of being God's child? Baptism is an important step to enter into that process. So I encourage you in that. Now, Paul then is uh, in verse 28. uh, Remember, Paul was brought up a good Jew. And every morning, Jewish men would pray, I thank God uh, that I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a woman. That was part of the morning prayers of Jewish people in his day. Isn't it interesting then that he takes those same three things here in this passage and says, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all welcome at the table. Isn't that wonderful? And he's realized, "I, I, I I had a false idea. I didn't realize everyone is welcome, right? And so if you belong to Christ, he says, and there is an if here, have you put your faith in Christ? Because if you haven't, then this doesn't apply. But if, verse 29, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, heirs of those promises to Abraham that you would be a great blessing. And so that's incredibly important, that we become children of God. Because there's another thing about this Jewish thing, you know, when Jewish children become of age, you have a bar mitzvah for a boy and a bat mitzvah for a girl. It's a ceremony when the girl is 11, when the boy is 12. Because bar means son and bat means daughter, right? But did you, Do you know what bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah means? It means daughter of the law and son of the law. So to come of age in Judaism is to realize that now your status is as a daughter of the law or a son of the law. So this is what Paul would have had that experience as growing up as a Jew. He was a son of the law. So Imagine for him then what when he says here. But, but you are all, we are all sons of God through faith in Christ. He's saying I've moved now. I used to be a son of the law. But now I am a son of God. I want to invite you. I wonder if you have made that journey And come into what it is to be a son of God.